So this week we're going to take just one more step in this topic of forgiveness and reconciliation. And I have a little bit to share at the outset, and, and it may seem a little bit more, um, I don't know. I'm going to try not to be as heady as, as it can be, uh, because some of the things that I'm going to share with you are kind of clinical ideas with regard to how we process information. Um, but I think these will, will help you. There'll be tools for you and definitions to help you in life. Um, but then we're going to open this up for a Q&A, and I've got a bunch of questions that people have sent, uh, some that I've had conversations with people, and I was able to uh, refine the question into something that was um, a little bit more conci concise. So uh, we'll start off this way and say that um, last week I, I shared with you a couple of pieces on forgiveness that are worth recapping. Uh, they were, in fact, a recap then, and they're going to recap again this week. And that would, would be first to talk about the definition of terms. That would be forgiveness right off the bat. Uh, forgiveness is, I think, um, easily understood as a giving up or a letting go completely. Okay, a giving up or a letting go completely. Within a context, it would be something like uh, releasing the negative feelings that you have, the resentment that you have, the desire for retaliation uh, against somebody. You would release that uh, against any wrongdoer or against any offense. That would be forgiveness. Reconciliation we defined as to bring back together or to reestablish a sense of unity or an agreement after a period of separation. Now, why this is, uh, this is an important definition to nuance, and why that is, is because you can't always, uh, you can't always bring people back together to the original place or to the starting point. So let's say you, you're dealing with a, a couple that was divorced, and they've been divorced for 20 years, and they finally have reconciliation. Reconciliation, even according to the Bible, doesn't mean scrap all the new ventures you're in and get remarried and try to figure this whole thing out again. Um, many times that's just impossible, okay? So what it is, though, is finding a starting place, finding a place where you can begin again. And sometimes that begin again, sometimes that starting place is we accept that we live different lives, we love each other, we respect each other, but that's it. We just have to be two people trying to journey through this crazy thing called life together, okay? Um, if you can, though, the best you can, you should be striving for living at peace with people, uh, that is, according to the scripture, insofar as it depends on you. Um, if a person is not willing to join you in reconciliation, we have another matter altogether. So again, reconciliation is to bring back together, to, uh, to find a sense or be in a sense, a place of unity or an agreement. Um, the word, both, both the words forgiveness and reconciliation reflect a process. Uh, and that is something that maybe we forget oftentimes. Uh, forgiveness is not one and done as we tend to portray it. There are times when it is. That's awesome. But there are many times in which forgiveness is a long, arduous process where you have to remind yourself every day, hey, I'm walking in, they're walking in freedom because I have forgiven them. Uh, the relationship can be restored if they choose to accept that, whatever it might be. Okay, but it is a process, and the same thing for reconciliation. There are times when you enter into reconciliation where 
process of reconciliation where one day it's going really well, and then the next day it goes so poorly, you're like, forget reconciliation. <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore, right? And, and sometimes we, we, we run for the hills and we justify our running for the hills by saying, I'm protecting myself. Let's be careful with our coping mechanisms. Let's be careful with our, our, our defenses. And we're going to get a lot into that today. Um, the other term that we defined last week was the term repentance. And repentance, it has to be fought for. The word, I, I, I tell you guys this all the time, there are words that I think we should just give up. There's no point in defending them. People are changing the meaning and we just have to move on. But there are words that we must fight for the definitions, right? We must defend at all costs. Love is one of those. Love has come to mean a lot of things in our world that are really perverse and strange. But, um, but love, rightly understood, is something we should defend. Repentance is another one that we should defend. Repentance will never merely be saying you're sorry. It'll never be that. But if we allow repentance to just be, I say I'm sorry, then somebody says, well, I repented. I apologized for what I did. But they keep going back to the behavior. They never turn around. They never do an about face in their, in their uh, behavior. So, so again, repentance, rightly understood, is a turning around. Why that matters is because if you're going to have reconciliation, you, it is going to require uh, it's going to require forgiveness and it's going to require repentance. So repentance, is, it's important that repentance is not a prerequisite to forgiveness. Jesus didn't have anybody in the world repenting before he said, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Not one person was repenting at that point. Are we called to repentance? Yes, we are. And, and I think you should call people in your life to repentance, and they should be able to call you to repentance. But repentance is not a prerequisite for forgiveness, but both forgiveness and repentance are truly a prerequisite to walking in reconciliation. You can't, uh, I used car analogy, I said, reconciliation is you guys being on a journey together. You cannot be on a journey together if the person is going the other direction. That's, that's not the way this works, okay? Uh, you're, you're, it's just not possible, right? It's just simple. So repentance is required, and repentance is a turning around. So repentance is not a prerequisite for forgiveness, but both forgiveness and repentance are prerequisites for reconciliation. Um, what I want to do today, before we get into questions, is I want to talk about kind of the, the goal that we have as humans in life. Like, what are we trying for? What are we aiming for inside of life? Um, I would say that the, the ultimate state of kind of what we might refer to as, as proper mental health, the ultimate state would be a place of joy, uh, a state of, of peace, how many of you want that? Joy and peace. How many of you would also say that you would want uh, to be in a place of contentment in life? Contentment. You see, contentment is, is one thing when we're talking about our stuff, right? I want to be content. That means I don't need six cars and all these other things that people have. Uh, but, but contentment goes far deeper than just stuff, right? Contentment can be in your relationships. A lot of times... Uh, there's division in relationships because people just aren't happy. They aren't content in a particular uh, relationship. And so, so I think this is something we're striving for. So let's just, like, like, let's just use this as our, 
as our hypothetical that the goal of life is that we want to be we want to be content, we want to be filled with joy, um, and we want to have some sort of peace. The Bible is clear on this. We're looking for perfect peace. Here's the truth of the Christian worldview. We will ultimately only find perfect peace in King Jesus, okay? That's important, but the world is still striving for peace outside of King Jesus, and they're looking for peace in little ways, in their relationships, in their workplace, in their stuff. They're looking for peace there. It is important not to belittle or uh, demean the fact that they want peace in those areas because before we recognized that Jesus was the answer, we wanted peace in those areas too. And we still strive for it. Uh, there are many times we're striving for peace and we don't even think to talk to Jesus about it, right? So, so we're all looking for the same thing. We're all striving for peace. We're all stri striving for contentment. But in order to arrive at these things, we have to start building at a proper foundation. And that proper foundation is going to be uh, really discovering what we are as people, right? The self that we are. Because if we get self wrong... If we understand self incorrectly, we're going to throw this whole thing off. We'll never arrive at peace. We'll arrive at a thing we think is peace until it lets us down. We'll, we'll arrive at something, but it's not going to make us happy. So first, we have to look at what self is. In order to understand what self is, we have to do two things. We have to talk about the structure of ourselves, like what is the structure of Nathan. Uh, then we have to talk about what is the function of Nathan. So let's put it into an analogy. Um, everybody is made up of bones and muscles and tendons and ligaments and all this stuff. And every joint that you have, every, every set or uh, subset in your body is a structure that also has a function, right? Everything is a structure that also has a function. Uh, my mouth has a structure and it has a couple of functions. It can talk, it can eat, it can do all, all those things, right? Um, your, uh, your arms, your legs, your whole body does this. But one thing that we often overlook is the fact that our minds are the same way. And that's what I mean when I start to talk about self. It's this weird ethereal thing that we have. <laughs> what am I pointing to when I say myself? This, right? You know. But ultimately, I'm talking about something that resides in here or something that resides in here, right? There is a structure of that person and there's a function of that person. Ultimately, the structure and the function should serve the goal, which is contentment, which is joy, which is peace in some way. There are times when I get skewed and I have a different goal, and so all of my function serves something else. Let's say my whole goal is just um, unbridled pleasure in life. Unbridled pleasure. I just want to, be, I want to be in ecstasy and happy all the time. I'm going to treat myself, the structure and the function of me, wrongly. I'm not going to see myself definitely as a temple of the Holy Spirit, not as a Christian. I'm going to see myself as a temple of Nathan, right? I'm, I, am, I am me, and it's all about me, okay? So it's interesting that if we don't have the goal right, the structure and the function gets skewed, and it often looks like selfishness, like it gets really perverse. So when we talk about structure and we talk about function, we need to know what those are. Here is what comprises your structure, right? What comprises you? You have a conscious mind and you have an unconscious mind, right? 
and I heard this spoken, it was a really cool analogy, that your conscious mind is, and unconscious mind are like an iceberg, and the conscious part is the little thing sticking out of the water that everybody sees. But that little thing sticking out of the water is formed by the big thing, which is your unconscious mind beneath. And there's a lot of things that go into informing your unconscious mind. The way you were raised, the way you were taught, the presuppositions that you have in life, and all of us have them, right? And Christians especially. We, we were raised a certain way. I think the scripture tells us to train those things in each other. Train up your children in the way they should go. What are you programming in there? Their unconscious mind to come out of them. Musicians do this when it comes to muscle memory or artists do this when it comes to every expression of their art. They spend a long time developing themselves so that what comes out of them is largely unconscious. They just flow into who they are. They express themselves. We do this with singing. We do this with art. We do this with everything. God, by the way, is the one who designed you like this, right? And I think that that's fascinating, okay? So the structure of yourself is you have an unconscious mind, you have a conscious mind, and one of the things that happens inside of that unconscious mind is the development of defense mechanisms. How you defend yourself is often an unconscious thing. Have you ever had something fly at your face and you just kind of go like that, right? I do this, especially when Sarah throws at me. But, but like, okay, so, so you flinch, whatever it is. It's, it's unconscious. You don't even know why you react this way. Well, that's a physical reaction. What about emotional reactions? What about forgiveness and unforgiveness? What about bitterness and resentment? What about those things? Have they been so programmed into you that they are unconscious realities of who you are? You see, if those are the structures of yourself and they are skewed, the goal of joy and peace and contentment will not be reached. You will not arrive there. You will constantly hold on to your frustrations and your anger and your bitterness. And there are things that are teaching you in this unconscious mind, there, there are things that are forming this, okay? So nonetheless, what we need to understand is there's a structure of self just as the physical body has a structure, so does the mind. And what I think you should think of is that the structure of self is more the nouns of who you are, right? Whereas the function of self becomes the verbs, okay? Becomes the actions that you take. So think about this with regard to function. That would be your behavior. That would be those defense mechanisms actually in action, okay? How many of you know that you can choose, no matter how much you desire to punch someone, how many of you know that you can choose to stop? Some of you need to be a little more accepting of this principle here, okay, right? You can choose to stop, okay? So what we're dealing with is defense mechanisms. That's coming from within you somewhere, but there's defense mechanisms in actions, and we're going to get to those kind of in detail, especially when we start answering questions. Another thing that is in action would be your self-awareness, recognizing what's going on and then making a plan from that point. Um, what we do is we call this, is a fancy word for this, or at least it's fancy to some, right? And we call this salience, right? And there's an internal salience and an external. I told you this could get clinical and weird at, at one point, but listen to me here. A salience would be defined as the ability to gate out everything that isn't valid in the moment, pressing in the moment, and only focus on the things that matter. 
You guys are doing this right now, and here's one of the coolest tests for this, right? You guys are all focused on what I'm saying, and not one person in this room is thinking about your big toe until now. <laughs> right? Why is that? This is a really cool thing that was, I, I learned one time, right? Why is that? Because I just made it salient to you, okay? Well, when it comes to the function of yourself, if you are salient to or if, if, um, if emotions, if mental states, if anger, if forgiveness, if unforgiveness, if all of these things are salient to you in a moment, then you can think about them and focus on them. But if you don't have forgiveness anywhere in your mind, guess what isn't going to come? Forgiveness, right? Guess what also happens if you don't have love in your mind? You're not even going to think about loving people. What you're going to do is think about you, most likely. <laughs> and that's what we do, okay? So, so we really need to look at this. So we have structure of self. We have function of self. Structure of self would be the nouns, the unconscious, conscious mind, defense mechanisms, the way we're programmed. It can also be uh, the understanding of healthy and unhealthy boundaries, right? Those are all there. Function of self would be the verbs. That's the actions. It's your behavior. It's, again, those defense mechanisms played out. Self-awareness. Salience is important. And then there's this striving mechanism that is uh, the function of yourself. Okay, so again, what is our goal at the top? Peace, joy, contentment, right? Just for the sake of our time today. Peace, joy, and contentment. If my... Uh, self and its functions are striving for those things, then I'm going to try to pull everything that's salient to me, I'm going to try to pull everything in to use it for this purpose, okay? However, if my goal is not peace and joy, then my, just so you know, my striving is still active. I'm still striving. The question is, what am I striving for? Okay? So if I'm striving for joy, then I'm going to pursue joy. I'm going to pull every salient thing that applies to joy in, and I'm going to do something about it. If, and please hear me when it comes to forgiveness and when it comes to reconciliation, if my goal is to hold on to bitterness, I'm going to pull every salient thing that reminds me of why I should remain bitter, and I'm going to keep throwing it. And I'm going to keep looking at it. I'm going to hold it up. I'm going to pet it. It's my precious ring, right? Like this is the way we're going to do this, okay? So we've got to be careful. So what we have is a goal, and then we have a self that has to work inside of this. Now, where does that self go? What, like what, what do we have that's unique, I guess, uh, to all of creation? We have the ability to operate in agency, right? We have the ability to make choices, right? We can choose not to punch somebody. Can I still get an amen there? Okay. Noah. Anyway, okay, so we, could, we can choose not to punch somebody, right? So in other words, we're empowered to do that, right? And empowerment would be this kind of ability to navigate our world. We've been empowered to do that. We have some weird ability mentally and physically to do this. But agency is this human capability to influence your own functions and the course of events inside of your world. So now we have a self. If it's a healthy self, it's going to walk in agency towards what? The good goal. If we have an unhealthy self, it still has agency, 
but it can walk in function toward, in, towards the, the bad goals, okay? Every one of us is doing this. The next thing that is really important in order to get to contentment is the combination of two things, gratitude and humility. Gratitude and humility. How many of you know that you're absolutely unique in this world? You're absolutely unique in this world. You are. It's really awesome. Nobody has your DNA, okay? Isn't that really cool? How many of you also know nobody in this room is at the highest level of any hierarchy in the planet, right? We're all like just people down here, right? Now, what should we do with that? We, it actually should keep us humble. Nathan's not the most important thing in the world. Let's, I'm going to take that up with my boss, right? right? Like, why am I not the most important thing in the world? Because it's life, right? I'm not the most important thing in my world. That makes me operate in a sense of humility. If you don't have that check, you will not have any sense of gratitude, I can assure you. Because here's what humility does. I walk, wake up every day and I go, well, I'm not the top of the pecking order, but you know what I am? Glad I'm alive. I'm breathing. I have healthy kids, right? I, it, isn't that an amazing thing, right? So, so if I am humble, if I can see it the way it is, right, a sense of place in the world in a right manner, then I can have gratitude. I can have appreciation. I love this reality. When we talk about the the term gratitude or appreciation, it actually is the Greek word for thanksgiving. Uh, that Greek word is eucharista, right? This is what we do when we take communion, right? It's thanksgiving. It's appreciation. This is what we're all about. Well, if you have no appreciation for anything in your life, do people like to hang around you? No way. Like, you're just like, ugh, right? Nobody likes that, okay? So, so here's the point. We have a self. That's a structure of a self and a function of self. That leads us, that, uh, within that self, we have agency, and we are empowered to walk in that agency. We have gratitude, or we should be a people of gratitude, but in order to do that, we have to have humility, and we're all moving towards one really important thing, which is the goal, which is peace and contentment and joy, Okay? So along this path, if we're going to put this in terms of forgiveness, we need to start realizing that um, we have to realize a why to forgiveness, okay? Which is going to, it'll lead us into the first question that was asked of me, and it will, it'll set the stage, and then you guys can ask questions away. Um, but the question was, you know, what is the goal of all this? Why talk about forgiveness? We've been talking about uh, Joseph, and we've been talking about the story of him and his brothers. And after being sold into slavery and forgotten about, counted as dead by his brothers, the scripture is clear. You can see it in Genesis 41, in Genesis 45, and in Genesis 50, that, um, that instead of holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness, holding on to resentment, Joseph saw a bigger why in all of this story, and because he saw a bigger why, Joseph, in the midst of slavery, had joy and contentment and peace. I don't know. I've been in, like, that deep a water compared to Joseph, and I deal with all resentment and all bitterness and all frustration, right? Yet he walks in this, and he says things like, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. 
Or, or he says things, like, um, says things like, God gave me two children, and in giving me those children, he actually made it to where I would forget the troubles that I had faced in life. So now he's able to put it aside, back to forgiveness, letting go. Right? He was able to do this through his children. So, so what happened? Well, Joseph has a self, and he functions within the world he's been given. Why does Joseph remain humble? Joseph isn't in control of anything he's got, but as he, in ultimate control, but inside of whatever place he's at, he can choose to be happy about it, joyful, peaceful, content, or he can just mope and sulk and hate life, okay? This is actually the, the challenge for all of us as we're working through forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation. We can choose to truly let go and move forward. Or we can choose to hold on to things. Last week, I, I shared with you that if you're truly going to forgive, it means giving up the right to repay. You guys cool with that? Not always, right? But it's, forgiving, it's giving up the right to repay. Do you know what happens if you're actually repentant? If you were the wrongdoer and you hurt somebody very much, you also give, the right, give up the right to close the door permanently when that person needs to heal from those wounds and they need to talk it through and they need to ask questions. Why? Why did you hurt me? I've got a question for you. Why couldn't you have asked me a question in the middle of this and not done what you did, right? If you are truly a repentant person, you open the door and you allow it to stay open. If you're a forgiving person, you don't act in retaliation. You're not for that. Literally, look at Joseph's story. This is who we're supposed to be. He ends up weeping and, and hugging and loving on his brothers and calling them to live with him in Egypt, which is the only place that they would have survived. But he calls them to live with him. This is a person who, in his structure and function of self, embraced humility and gratitude, embraced his call to action, his ability to act upon the world, right? And he chose joy and peace and contentment. He chose that. And we have the ability to do that as well, okay? So the question then, again, is why? What is the goal of all this? Well, here's what I want you to know the goal is not. Forgiveness and reconciliation and love of people and repentance and all this stuff is not... It's not for the goal of just getting you out of hell, okay? It's really important. If you're a person who says, I forgave, at least I don't have to go to hell now, you can miss the point. You, you miss the point, right? Forgiveness, what, what again is our ultimate goal? Peace, and joy, and contentment. By the way, those are all biblical, right? Peace and joy and contentment, that's our ultimate goal, not just get out of hell free. Okay, so we're, we're aiming for something. It's not just that. So what actually is this? This is where the question becomes, uh, the answer is multifaceted. One of the reasons that we're supposed to forgive and supposed to operate towards joy and all of these things is that we are actually bearers of the image of God, right? When you're forgiving, is that the first thing that comes into your mind? You know why I want to forgive? I want to forgive because I want to reflect my king best. That's literally the last thing I've ever thought until now. Until now, because 
Because I'm just like everybody else. I'm learning this system as I go, right? But true response and forgiveness is, I want to look like my dad. Why wouldn't I want to do that, right? Another response for why forgive is to bring glory to God. Not just to look like him, but for the rest of the world to go, wow, these people are weird, right? These people are very peculiar in this, that even when an enemy is hating them, these people are willing to love and forgive and have a relationship. Is that why you forgive? Just simple questions to ask yourself, right? So when a person asks me the question, what is the goal of all this? My first answer is, first, we want to strive for peace and joy and contentment because God has called us to that. God doesn't call us to something and not give us the actions to get there, okay? And in doing the actions to get there, we best reflect our Father and we bring the maximum amount of glory to who he is. And that's just scratching the surface, quite honestly, for why we should forgive. The scripture goes on to talk about forgiving because we've been forgiven. How many of you know you're sinners? How many of you know you're children of God? That's an amazing truth. I don't want to lose sight of the fact that all have sinned, and that includes me. But I also don't want to lose sight of the fact that I am restored in relationship because of something Jesus did for me. I love that. That is absolutely amazing. God gave the prodigal son a robe and, a, and, a, and sandals and a ring and threw him a party. And half the Christian church walks around acting like God is tolerating you until eternity. Right? What's he going to do then? Tolerate you more? Like, that's, like, he loves you, so he wants to see you restored. So what is the goal of all this forgiveness stuff? Not just to be a better person over another person. Not just to get out of hell free, right? The objective in this, reflect the glory of God or reflect the image of God. Bring glory to God. You're supposed to do this because you've been forgiven. Now, this brings us to uh, uh, an interesting passage in the scripture and it's just something that I want you to wrestle with and consider um, some people ask the question what what if any are the dangers of a lack of forgiveness what if any are the dangers of the lack of forgiveness if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18 And all I want to do is I want to present you with some ideas and I want you to begin to uh, wrestle with them. And if you wrestle with them and you want to wrestle with them with me, that's great. Let me know. In Matthew 18, starting at verse 21, we have to recognize who Jesus is talking to and we have to realize where we are in the story of redemption. Then Peter came and said to him, who is Peter? Who is Peter? Disciple of Jesus, right? He, would, uh, he wouldn't just be a disciple to us, though. Like, we would say, this is the real deal, right? Now, he's a mess, but this is Peter. We're not talking about any random disciple. This is Peter, okay? He's not better. I just want you to, I'm stressing a point for a reason. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Okay, so let's, 
Again, dissect what's happening here. First, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me? What's the context here? We're talking about a brotherhood. We're talking about some sort of relationship. Here is what this can imply, and this is where you have to wrestle. Some people will assert that this has nothing to do with any type of salvation or it isn't connected to salvation in any way, and there is no direct reference to salvation here, right? But what we would have to do is look at what is implied at the end by who is being communicated to. It's Peter, a disciple of Jesus. He's talking about sins against him by brothers or you know, by somebody close to him. And the idea at the end becomes really hard. Here's what it says at the end. Um, My heavenly Father will also do the same if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Now, what is the same? Verse 33. Should you not also, this is a master speaking to a wicked slave. By the way, speaking to a wicked slave and Jesus' parallel is that if Peter doesn't do this, he would be the same kind of guy. There's no, there's no way to just manipulate this and construe it any other way, right? Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the tortures until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you. Who is you in this situation? Peter, who is also asking what? How many times must I forgive? He will also do the same to you if each of you, so it sounds like a broader swath of people, does not forgive his who? Brother from his heart. The people that you are connected to. The church is who is called siblings and brothers. I am not a brother to the world. Make sure you understand it. So here is the wrestle with this. The wrestle is, what, if any, are the consequences of not forgiving? Well, I can be forgiven. Let's read the story together. I can be forgiven. Myself, both the function of self and the, and the, uh, the, the essence of myself, the noun and the verbs, these things are both informed here. They can choose something. They have agency to do something. They have humility and gratitude to do something. And they can choose to not do it. Okay? That's what we're all comprised of. Okay? So listen to what he says. How many times should I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. As many times as dang well takes, Peter. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. Now, who is being compared to what? This is the kingdom of heaven, not stuff that happens out in the world. This is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents who brought to him was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment was to be made. Do you know what the right response to sin is? Full repayment. That's the right response to sin, full repayment. Do you remember what Mark read in the call to worship in Psalm 103? He doesn't repay us the way we deserve. That is an act of mercy. Why? 
I don't even know. He's just good, church, right? So look at what it says. All repayment is to be made. Verse 26. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him of the debt. You see what has taken place in the story. Verse 28. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him. You don't have to choke people either, right? You can punch them. You don't have to. You can choke them. You don't have to. Saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. Do you notice what he's crying out? The same thing the slave asked his master. Have patience with me. Have patience with me. But he was unwilling and went and threw him into prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his, and his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torture until he should repay all that was owed him. Now, when you look at the numbers, there's no way this guy could have repaid back what was owed. Okay? So it was all that he owed. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. The reason I bring that up is not to give you a particular stance but it is to say that a question that says, what, if any, is the result of unforgiveness? And all I can tell you is it's a serious matter. And you should weigh heavily and carefully what the response is. Because if the response is this, and this is a view that I hold, if the response is that you can be forgiven of your sins and walk in repentance and forgiveness, but choose in your agency to reject that and walk the exact opposite direction, then it's of no value. You will then pay the consequences of everything that you've done. But what I'm saying is you've already received forgiveness. You already pleaded. Isn't that fascinating? The answer to the question is this. Take it seriously, a lack of forgiveness. We're reflecting the image of God. We're bringing glory to our Father. We are doing this because the goal, as per Him, is joy and peace and contentment and living at that peace with other people. We are doing this because God said, I forgave you, and the consequences of unforgiveness are very steep, okay? So there's two answers or two ideas to consider with regard to these questions. I have more that people have emailed me, and we can go into some of the things that I've shared this morning, and I will through some of the answers. But I want to turn this time over. I'm going to get Mark to run a microphone around if people have a question. Uh, and in any law, I have questions that people sent to me through email, so we will go there. Anybody want to ask a question first? I love that. Yes, there's one in the back. That might be my favorite response yet. Okay, yeah. 
is um, if, if you're the self one who has caused affliction or sin, how do you forgive yourself? Yeah, that's a good question. So I've held to all kinds of different views on this uh, throughout time. Um, much of it just in my, I don't know, zeal without knowledge. That's just all I can say, right? But um, so I, I used to hold this view where the idea was all we ever do is love ourselves. So anybody who uses the excuse, I just need to learn how to love myself, just needs to suck it up because they already do love themselves. I'm not 100% wrong. But there are ways we love ourselves, and then there are ways that we clearly don't love ourselves, okay? So in the scripture, when, it, when Jesus talks about this idea of, of taking care of your, your body and your clothing and your food, right? My argument is still, nobody in here is starving to death, right? In here is struggling. We're Americans. We live high on the hog. Trust me, okay? So in that respect, I still hold to my answer. I think we love ourselves well. But where I've changed my view is, uh, especially when it comes to the mind, when it comes to things like self-talk, when it comes to things like forgiveness and unforgiveness, um, I talk to myself harsher than any of you have ever talked to me, if you've talked to me harshly, right? I talk to myself infinitely harsher than you guys do. Why is that? I've just realized that I, that's how I see me. I see myself in a very difficult way. And here's the challenge that was posed to me. The challenge was, would a person that you love consider it loving if you talk to them the way you talk to you? And I went, I don't want to hear your thoughts anymore, right? <laughs> right? I, re I realized very quickly that it isn't a loving thing. So in that respect, am I loving myself? Not very well, actually. And when it comes to things like the hurt that we've caused and those things, um, unless we're just a narcissist that acts as though nothing is ever wrong and we point the finger at everybody else and never at ourselves, we do have to wrestle with forgiving ourselves. First thing that you have to do is repent, right? That is the first step. Have you repented to the person? You should also repent before God because this every, every horizontal relationship dynamic affects the vertical one as well, right? And I would argue that the vertical one affects the horizontal as well. If we have a right relationship with God, we're going to have a better to right relationship with people. And if we are treating people poorly, what's going to happen is the same thing that Adam and Eve did in the garden. And we're going to run and hide in shame from God because we actually know we're doing things incorrectly, right? So, so I think you have to learn to forgive yourself. You have to start with repenting, to, both to the person and then to God. And then when it comes to proper forgiveness of yourself, um, this is back to where we talk about the unconscious mind and the conscious mind. Okay, so um, how many of you know what self-talk is? Right? Um, you're pretty familiar with it. I'm not trying to be weird here or psychobabble nonsense. I'm just talking about the fact that you could have the extreme or the caricature, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. You know, you can chant that to yourself in the mirror every day. <laughs> it's not going to change. You're going to get to work and somebody's going to be like, doggone it, we hate you, right? <laughs> you know? so, so you can self-talk all you want in those caricatured ways, that's fine. But here is where that becomes super dangerous. If you constantly berate yourself, and tell yourself you're unworthy, 
nobody loves you. As a matter of fact, God shouldn't even love you. If you constantly berate yourself and say, you're the cause of all the bad things that have happened within your family. How many people do that? Right? Almost every mom that I know, right? right? That's just crazy. It just happens. We're like, oh, I'm the, I'm the plague of this family. No. But if you keep doing that, here's what becomes salient to you. Your negative image. If all that you ever think about is the offense you've committed and you don't put it aside and say, this person has forgiven me, and let's just say they've truly forgiven you, okay? Let's say they've truly forgiven If they haven't truly forgiven you, there's a tendency to bring it back up. What? Your head, which makes it impossible for you to forget, okay? So you have to be able to put these things aside. If you're dealing with what is salient to you, what is, what is in focus, your self-talk can be the loudest thing. I'm unworthy can be the loudest thing. Now, I don't suggest you lie to yourself, but I do suggest in a state of true forgiveness, you say, I feel this way, but I am forgiven. I feel this way, but I am forgiven. I feel this way, but I am forgiven. I think you have to do that within yourself. And you have to stay focused on it, okay? Because it's really hard. I, I think all of us do this. And by the way, this is back to the process. It's going to take a long time to do it. So you could do that. I hope that answer helps. But you can do that. And you'll still be doing that three months from now. And you'll still be doing that a year from now. Because you'll probably try to doubt it. Or somebody will say something that makes it feel like it's not true. Okay. Another question. Yep. Right here, Mark. I think a lot of a lot of times people um, aren't honest with themselves about forgiveness. Yeah. Um, and we deal with loved ones. We deal with ourselves, and we deal with that um, dishonesty in different ways. Well. What do you do when you have a loved one who isn't honest about it, but they're thoroughly convinced? And you just want them to see the same goals of joy, wow. contentment, and, yeah. um, you know, happiness. Um, what do you do with a loved one that, that, that just can't, well, Chris, I have forgiven them. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have. <laughs> right, right, right. What do you do? Yeah, that's a great question. That's a super good question. So, I think the first thing that we all need to realize in this model of agency, in this model of um, uh, uh, humility, is we can only affect so much change in life, okay? Like, tell me if this is true for you. It's hard enough to manage Nathan. It's hard enough for you to manage you. Uh, how much more difficult is it to then add another person that you're trying to get them to see it correctly? It's very hard. Okay, so let's, let's, so first of all, just the humility says this is a difficult endeavor. The second thing would be, let's talk about it with a parallel between, so this is a mental game of forgiveness. It's this kind of altruistic effort that we're putting out there. But th let's talk about a physical thing. If you've got somebody that is, um, that is struggling with their physical fitness, with obesity, with those kinds of things, um, and you... You want them to see it. Do you think it's a wise thing, the first thing to do, to run up and say, I just want you to know you're obese, you're fat, you have a problem, right? Do you think that's going to win them? No. I don't think it's going to win them. It's the same thing. I know that that's a, I'm using absurd things to go to forgiveness. It's probably not going to win people to say, I don't think you've forgiven anybody, 
I think they're going to buck because in their mind, back to your premise, they're convinced they've actually forgiven that person. So I think what you have to do is you have to say, what's your definition of forgiveness? And begin a question that says, can you define the terms for me? Does that make sense? And if they define the terms for you, then you can also spot where the terms might not be correct, (laughs) right? So if they say, forgiveness is me sweeping this whole thing under the rug and staying bitter for the rest of my life, you can go, that's not forgiveness, right? But you do it in a gentle way. I think you win more people or you'll always win more people if you seek to understand them Ask them questions. What do you mean by forgiveness? When they give you an answer, then work to, what do you think God says is forgiveness? What do you think, do you think that that model of forgiveness that you just defined, do you think it works? Is it giving you happiness? Or you might ask them the question, what is the goal of forgiveness for you? If If they answer and say, my goal is peace, then you say, with your forgiveness right now, are you at peace? They might face the fact that they're not at peace, which means they come to the conclusion, my forgiveness is not real forgiveness. Does that make sense? Okay. There you go. Awesome. Thank you. Matt Wesley asked almost the same question this week, and it was really powerful. I'm like, listen, have a baby and stop worrying about forgiveness right now. <laughs> but, but, but it's good. Go for it, sir. Um, uh, throughout the, today, you've been talking about the goal being joy and peace and contentment. Sure. And to me, that's always felt like a byproduct of, uh, of the goal of being in the will of God and to glorify God. So can, yeah. you, can you talk about the distinction there? So, okay, the, I, I'm really glad that you ask a question that would distinguish this from maybe the way a secular world would look at it from the church. So I, I kind of made the statement at the beginning that the world is also looking for a goal right? And so what I'm getting at is that these generic goals are also the pursuits of the world. But when we understand as Christians joy and peace and contentment, we're always supposed to filter that through. That is actually God's design for us, right? So I think, to answer your question, they're not different in my mind. I'm simply posing it in a way that if if a person is here today that does not believe in Jesus at all, they're going, well, I can see why peace would be a good thing to strive for. I can see why joy would be a good thing to strive for. Actually, it goes to a philosophy of evangelism that I have, and that is I would much rather start down this path and get them talking about things that are kind of universally accepted before I ever go dropping the what do you think about Jesus question, right? Not because I don't want to get there, right? But because if I can get them to say, I want the same things that you want, then I have this really beautiful opportunity to say, there's a person who came to give this very thing, right? And then the the evangelism becomes rich and life-giving. If it stops at them not accepting a premise, the conversation's still going, Right? So I can come back to it later and go, so you don't want joy, what do you want instead? Right? And then if they want something that is scriptural, I still have that inroad. You know what I'm saying? So I'm trying to marry both of those to answer your question. Ryan and Sarah. Furthering kind of the conversation that Ben was going into there, what do you believe is the role of Holy Spirit in wow. our forgiveness? 
especially as it pertains to other members of the church? Here was, the, here was a like question that was asked <clears throat> online, and that was, uh, what, what does, how does God play into this question? In other words, uh, I think they were asking similar, um, is forgiveness, is reconciliation, is all of this contingent on the Spirit of God moving inside of you? So the simple answer is no, because the world forgives and loves each other and, and does these kinds of things. But to the goals we're aiming for, it requires the Holy Spirit, right? And why I would say it requires the Holy Spirit is that um, we're, we're dealing with forgiveness and love and, and, um, and contentment on a level that never promises us a reward. The world might say, well, I had to forgive as long as, there's, as long as there's straight up peace and I never have to deal with this problem ever again. We're told to give forgiveness even if they go, I don't care if you forgive me. I'm, I'm not repentant for the thing that I did. I don't think I should repent. You know what I'm saying? So I think where God plays a role for the Christian in this is that he's actually asking us to do something that transcends, I think, normal human ability, right? Normal human ability. <clears throat> Okay, so I'm actually asking this for lists. She's watching online. No, they're driving home. Give me a break. And she wants to You'd know. You show up at church. Anyway, no, they're leaving <laughs> to Kentucky. Sorry. Uh, so she said, what about when you've forgiven someone, but they can't seem to accept it? They will continue to ask you to forgive, or they keep apologizing over and over. How do you get them to accept? Or how do you help them accept it? Yeah. So... I, there's a thousand answers to this, and I know you guys all have answers to this question. Convincing people that they are forgiven, if we're dealing with a Christian worldview as well, I think that that's another role of the Holy Spirit. I think, I think God has to do a work in somebody's heart. But if we take this even from a secular perspective, I don't think the answer is repeat that they're forgiven. I think the answer is treat them as though they're forgiven. Right? So it's one thing for me to say to you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. Stop asking for, you know, stop apologizing. Stop asking, you know, me to forgive you. I do. Start treating them as though the, the reconciliation, the bond is begun. Right? The, the reunification is there. Um, so that might be, that might be, uh, they might say it. They might say, I, I, I just want you to know I'm really sorry again for what I, what I did. Sometimes that's people just processing through the fullness of what they've done, right? That might take years to do. But what you do is you go, it's okay. And you just keep walking with them, right? You just keep doing your normal stuff with them. Treat them as though the, re the reconciliation process has begun. They're obviously in the car with you, back to the car model that I shared last week. They're in the car with you. They're driving in the same direction. They still want you to know they're sorry for it. That's a big deal, right? But I think it's less, it's less beat them with words or convince them with words and more convince them just with how you treat them. I think that's the best way to do it. Back at a, I think that's how you're supposed to love anyway, right? We, uh, marriages and relationships all the time, it's just like, you can repeat, I love you all day long, but what happens if the person says, I don't, how do I believe that you love me? Show it, show it, 
How do I believe that I've been forgiven? How do I believe that it's okay to forgive myself? Well, I'm no longer treating you like a person that needs to be forgiven anymore. Even though this is my family up Um, I just wanted to speak to that real quick with something that my mother used to say. And she used to say, if you want to make friends with someone, ask them to do something for you. Sure. Um, because that will help that person to understand that they have something to offer. And that's just a little practical. There's value. That's just There's value in them. That's really good. Okay. Other questions? I've got some that are, I believe, important. Before you, before you ask another one, let me ask this one. Um, the, the first one went along with your question, right, which was how do you forgive yourself? Um, again, there's a lot of nuance in that one. Um, the next question was how do we process through forgiving deep hurts, profound hurts, right? It's, it's one thing to forgive somebody because they, uh, they took the last donut in the box. I'm still bitter about it. But anyway, so, right, like, it's, it's one thing to forgive that. It's a whole different matter to forgive somebody who has hurt you deeply. I, the, I think true forgiveness comes with deep hurts is that you actually have to talk about the deep hurt. You have to talk about the wounds. You have to talk about what it has created. Um, if you go into the doctor for some sort of uh, infection that you have, the doctor has to clean that stuff out. They don't just put a bandage over it called healing and move on, right? So they clean that out. Same thing with forgiveness. I think you have to talk it out. I think that becomes in some way um, uh, a salve. It becomes a, a healing ointment to that. Um, the challenge with talking it out is that it necessitates bringing back up all of the issues and there are some people that freak out when you bring back up all the issues because they think you're keeping a record of wrongs. But if you're truly a repentant person, you gave up the right to have those things brought up, right? You, they get to be brought up. They get to be talked about because they're the things that hurt them, right? So they're allowed to say, this wounded me. Can you explain to me why you did it? Or can you help me understand your way of thinking, whatever it is? So that was another question. Um, the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation we covered. Um, how about this one? This was really a good one. I overthink when it comes to forgiveness and repentance, uh, but it's not always good. How do I stop overthinking? Show of hands, how many of you overthink things? Mark Williams calls that the committee in people's head, right? right? So how many of you have a committee in your head? You're overthinking things. So what, what that is a result of, guys, is that that is, if we're talking about uh, conscious and unconscious thinking, you have, there is, there is been allowed in your unconscious mind the, um, the negative self-talk, right? The, the overthinking in a bad way, okay? And what you have to do is you have to actually combat that by thinking the things that are right. Again, hear me clearly, guys. I know that there's distraction going on, but hear me clearly. It does not mean lying to yourself. It doesn't mean that, but you do have to think clearly. So if you have truly been forgiven, say, you need to remind yourself that you've truly been forgiven and stop overthinking the negative thoughts, Okay. With overthinking, though, I would highly recommend you sit down with somebody and talk. you got to sit down with somebody and talk. In other words, you got to find a voice that's louder than the one in your head. 
right? And there are, this is why counselors exist, right? This is why pastors exist. This is why friends exist. So please, you know, take people up on it. They need to be able to speak into your life, and they need to be able to transform that and change Yeah, uh, Real quick, Nathan, yep. I also want to tell you that, you know, um, you want to say to silence the, the loudest voice in your head, 99.9% of the time we give that louder voice the platform. Yeah, very much, and that's what you have to overcome, right? Other questions? I'll move on to more here. You had one. Sarah's got another one. I actually have two. Can this is both? this is your limit. <laughs> um, well, the first one wasn't mine. I had to ask for Liz because she's not here. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Well, I'm trying to, to decide. What? Okay. What if you wish? You to be don't reconciled? just have to shut Mark up. It's okay. We'll, we'll forgive him later. What if you wish to be reconciled to someone that's angry with you, even though what they're angry with you for isn't a sin, like, say, a disagreement that resulted in... <laughs> okay, let's, you know, talk about inheritance sort of things after a loved one's passed away, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. How do you seek reconciliation without initiating it by an apology? Because there's nothing to apologize for. You didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. How do you get reconciled then? So just a small theory about apologies. Um, I think we use apologies for more things than I'm actually sorry. And I think that they're good uh, tools to get into a conversation. And what I mean by this is if somebody is having a bad day, you say, I'm sorry. You, don't, you didn't do anything wrong. You just say, I'm sorry. And what that does is make the person feel like you actually give a crap. Right? <laughs> You're like, Wow. Thank you. I'm just, I'm very grateful for that. So when it comes to, when it comes to this kind of thing, you haven't done anything wrong, but they're upset. It might be worthwhile to say, I am sorry that we are at odds with each other. I am sorry that there is a brokenness in this relationship. See if that olive branch will calm everybody down, right? If it doesn't, I, you're right, that it's possible it doesn't, but see if that will work. The next step in all of this, even if you use that tactic to get in or if you get another way in, I think it is extremely important that you have a conversation in which you rely on your agency not to scream and yell or punch or get aggravated, right? You rely on that agency and that ability to control it and come into the conversation and say, can you explain to me how you think I hurt you? Can you talk to me about how you believe that I did you wrong? And then if you can, if it's a true two-way conversation, it, it appears that you could get to a resolution. There obviously are times without resolution, but, but it appears you could work towards that. So um, staying humble, starting off with an olive branch, and then maintaining a sense of decorum, a sense of peace about you that can get into the conversation without tripping any alarms, right? The truth is that we're, we're talking about overcoming the mind, right? If it's, it's just a very complicated mechanism. And sometimes we believe things to be true that are not true. Like, think about this. People will give their lives 
and die for things that are not true, but they believe them to be true. So how is that mechanism play into forgiveness and repentance? Sometimes people go, I am convinced and nothing will ever change me that you did me wrong. The only way I think you can hope to get anywhere is to have a conversation. And if you can't have a conversation, then it comes back to another, another reality, and that is you have boundaries, you have coping mechanisms that say, we agree to disagree, um, I'm really sorry that you feel offended by what I've done, right? And all of those things. I think that's the steps you have to take. Okay, guys, there's a lot to this, and there's a lot more questions that I think we could ask, but I've already rocked us to 11.30, and... The kids' workers were like, forget you, Nathan, and ejected the children, which is, you know, whatever. I get the hint. It's fine. You wanted what? You want to ask a question? Answers, no. Oh, sorry. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think that there's a lot to forgiveness. If you have other questions or if you want to talk through these kinds of things, please reach out. Um, forgiveness is challenging. Repentance is challenging. There's a lot to us that is working here, and we've got to start working through it um, effectively. Um, you know, I, I did want to share something with you guys, and I want, uh, this may help somebody here. Um, there are three terms that happen, three things that happen when somebody feels guilt or shame uh, somebody feels a high sense of anxiety or something like this. You've all heard the common term, the popular term. That term is called projection, right? But most people that I talk to have no flippin' clue what projection actually is. They, they just keep spouting off a definition that's not true. So there's three mechanisms in psychology for this. There's projection, there's projective identification. I know, here's the technical stuff. And then there's displacement. Let me define these for you so that you can really understand what's happening. Projection is actually when you refuse to own your own behavior. So you're wrong. You're a jerk. You're being harsh. You're being mean. And what you do is you project it on another person but refuse to own it yourself. This is not a situation in which you say, I may be being a jerk, but so are you. That's just Oftentimes, that's just true, right? It takes two to tango, right? But, but projection is when you refuse to own your own behavior. So it's not me who's mad at you. It's you that's mad at me, right? It's not me who's ruining the relationship. It's you. This is the true definition of projection. You're projecting all the negative feelings and behaviors onto them without owning it yourself. Projective identification is when you cause others to feel the way you feel in order to get your needs met, even if you don't mean to. So you're a person who walks around with a high level of anxiety, and guess what the whole house does? Walks on eggshells. They're all living in high levels of anxiety. That's projective identification, and we do this sometimes intentionally, and we do this sometimes unintentionally. We like, we can just be real pains in the neck, okay? Don't look at your mother that way. I saw it. Anyway, <laughs> okay, <laughs> just teasing. Then the next one is displacement. The next one is displacement. And this, it's not, um, this is when it's not the person who's making, uh, the, it's not this person who's making me angry. Um, it's another person that's making me angry, but they're a formidable foe. They're a challenging person to deal with. So I'll take it out on the lesser person. 
Here is what happens in a lot of families. Mom and dads are in tension. They're fighting. Mom or dad doesn't want to take it up with mom or dad. But instead what happens is they mistreat the children. Right? They mistreat those around. They act like it's their fault or they're to blame for something. This is called displacement. You have displaced who's really to blame, and most of the time because you're a coward and you don't want to actually face the real foe here. Or maybe you're scared that they're going to abuse you too. That's a possibility, but trust me, it's not good on anybody else around you. So there's a couple of things that you can do. Projection, projective identification, displacement. Uh, When it comes to forgiveness, it's easy to practice projection. I'm not the one who needs to forgive, it's you, right? I'm not the one who needs to repent, it's you. That's what we do, right? That's, That's a common one. Projective identification is this idea of you feel sorry for what you've done, you've been forgiven, but because you constantly keep asking for forgiveness and all this, you make the whole atmosphere feel guilty all the time, right? It's just like, oh, what's going on? It just gives everybody the heebie-jeebies, as my mom would say, right? Okay, and so, and then there's displacement. I'll end today by reading you guys a testimony of forgiveness, and then we'll take communion. Mike told me that I could share this testimony, and I was very grateful that I was able to do so. It is in this email, although it should be in that one as well. Grumble, grumble. Okay. I have never forgiven Google, so that's okay. Evil company. Anyway, okay, okay, here we go. So uh, Mike Van Vliet shared this with me. He said, I don't really have a question about forgiveness, but I do have a testimony or a statement to the importance of forgiveness. 27 years ago, I love you, Mike. 27 years ago, my wife at the time and I had been married for 12 years. One day, I came home from work and she was gone. She took my two children, she packed up everything and left me for another man. I was surprised. I was devastated, I was hurt and confused. It didn't, I didn't see it coming. My world was turned upside down in an instant. She filed for divorce, I fought to keep my children, attorney debt, time, etc. it all piled up. Unfortunately, she kept the children from seeing me. Court's orders were in place for me to visit and get my children on weekends. She was brainwashing my kids into not seeing me. It took years of counseling for me to be able to function. I finally asked God to help. I should have run to him. I should have run to him when it first happened, but instead I ran from him. I blamed him for everything. I was angry that it happened to me. Once I asked him for help and forgiveness, I was finally able to move on. I was was sorry that I had blamed him for everything. I found myself humbled by his comfort. Almost 10 years after my wife left, I finally forgave her. A weight was lifted off of me that day. God's peace truly came upon me. For the last 15 years or so, I have had a relationship with Jesus that has flourished. It was only possible once I was able to forgive. My daughters have both struggled with the broken relationship that their parents had. At least now they can see me. They know that I love them. They know that I care for them. And would do anything to help them. They still have things to work out. But I am in a place to help them through that life now. That's forgiveness, guys. Let's pray.
Lord, thank you for today and thank you for the opportunity that we have to to learn and to grow and to walk in the things that you've actually called us to walk in. Father, thank you for showing us that we have a goal and that goal inside of you is peace and joy and contentment. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us means to achieve that goal, including the use of this thing that we call self, this person that you've made. We are asking, Lord, for help. We're asking for you to uh, commandeer our hearts and our minds so that as we, uh, as we act in this world, we can do so in a glorifying way to you. We can do so in a way that reflects you best into the world. Lord, there's so much for us to learn and there's so much life to live, which means there's so much forgiveness and so much repentance and so much reconciliation still ahead. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to grow in this, to become better and better each day, and to do so again as a way to honor you, as a way to reflect you into the world, as a way to speak a testimony to the world that there is something true and good about your way, about walking in this life as a Christian. We love you, Lord. We thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name. Amen.